This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift. Find your fun with the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Kreiso. That's a bit Welsh for you. Geraint, welcome back to Europe. Your time in uh, Los Angeles has come to an end, I believe. Yeah, sad times actually, Tom. Jet lag, although saying that, south of France, not too bad, is it? But um, yeah, yeah, I just love America. It's great to train there. Everything's just big though, isn't it? You know, the roads are big. Massive. Cars are massive. Houses, food. Everything's just like supersized, isn't it? Does it help you though? Does it make you feel smaller at a point in the year where you're not yet at your smallest? (laughs) I guess so, yeah. But also when you're riding down the Pacific Coast Highway, the PCH, and you've got this big like truck, but it's just a, a woman and they're taking a kid to school who's <laughs> flying past you because they don't like to move out either. They're just like, well, this is my lane, driving in my lane. No, it is good. Can't complain. It's um, it's always good there. The one thing with the roads though as well, it took me about two weeks to work this out the first time I came. And you know, you paint stuff on the road like slow, Araf, Arav in the UK, in Wales. Mm. So one of the things on the road is PED, then about 10 metres later, X-I-N-G. It took me like two weeks to work out what it was the first time here. Do you know what that, do you know what it means? What it stands for? Well, as in a natural, it's written on the road officially, not like scrawled on the road Tour de France route style by some yeah. panda. Yeah, no, officially painted by the council or, you know, whatever they call it. Ped. I've got no idea. What does it mean? <laughs> so it's pedestrian. I got that bit. But then I was like, oh. X I pedestrian X in. I was like, is this something weird? Like, is this a bit X-rated or what? And then finally, like with the cyclocross worlds that just happened, or well, this was a few years ago, similar time. I was like, oh, it's crossing, pedestrian crossing. <laughs> Why not just write crossing? Well, because it's a lot more letters, isn't it? A lot more paint. I mean, it's a little bit more paint. Well, it goes it's from five letters to, to one, isn't it? Cross <laughs> and then, or an X. But it confused <laughs> me for so long. So everyone does that with cyclocross, don't they? Somebody wrote to me, ah. oh, did you watch the CX Worlds? I was like, mm. what the hell is the CX Worlds? <laughs> oh, cyclocross. Yeah. It's like all this YOLO and all that stuff though, isn't it? It takes me a while to work out what all that is. It's difficult, isn't it? Youth of today, Tom. <laughs> Talking about the World Cross, it is about a week and a half since Tom Peacock won in spectacular fashion. Have you tried the Superman in the intervening days? <laughs> uh, no, I did a bit as more when I was a bit younger, but I feel like he's got height on his side there. I think the taller you are, the harder it is. Like, obviously, it looks impressive. It was a nice photo finish, wasn't it? But I'd love to see someone like um, Mickey Shaw or someone like that do it. Someone who's like 190 centimeters. Ghana. Let's get Ghana doing the Ghana doing the Superman. Superman. Wow. This, what's the correct technique if you're trying to do it? Because uh, my kids were trying to do it the, the uh, day after on the way home from school on their bikes. Um, <laughs> so do you need to do you need to get your sort of tummy button on the back of the saddle first, and then when that is in the right position, then you unclip? Uh, yeah, that's why that's how I would go about it. But I'd be too worried about the consequences if it went wrong. Like yeah, you know the UCI a little bit too far. Yeah, UCI have bands like sitting on a top tube, which is perfectly safe. This thing, mate, oh, you're going to have people losing, well, all, all sorts of 
genitalia if they're not careful. So be careful, guys. Don't. Try, I, that's one thing I'd say. Definitely don't try that at home or on the road or wherever you ride your bike. If you are going to try it, maybe a nice grassy field, something like that for your first attempt. Well, if your manhood goes in between your brake and your wheel, mate, it doesn't matter what you're riding on, that's not going to be pretty. <laughs> the damage is done before you hit the floor, Tom. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But I hear on the turbo, maybe. I don't know. Okay. I might just not do it at all. You've put the fear of God into me. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking after you, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for thinking of my genitalia in the best possible way. Um, <laughs> also, G, of course, at the Cyclocross Worlds, we had another British winner. We had Zoe Baxted, Welsh superstar, winning the junior race. And I'm delighted to say she's going to be on the pod very soon as well. Yeah, most definitely. So obviously Zoe lighting up the, the cycling scene at the minute. Fellow Welsh rider, so great to see. Obviously, race with her dad, so that makes you know I'm one of those people now. Oh, I race with your dad. Oh, I'm so old. But yeah, no, great to see Zoe doing so well. And also, not forgetting Nathan Smith. Shout out to to Nathan who got bronze in the junior as well. He's up from your neck of the woods as well, I think, Tom. Yeah, he is or has been part of the Northwest Cyclocross Association, which are the races that I also do. Mm, so you might have raced him. Yeah, he's probably beaten me um, by a couple of laps. <laughs> probably. So. Keep an eye out for more Cyclocross and Zoe Backstead in the coming weeks. Nice. Um, also, G, one of our GTCC members, Neil Mackley, has got in touch about the arm challenge I set you on the previous pod, do you remember? He says, there's no one better than Ben Williams to assist you. Ben works for your team, Ineos, now, Geraint. He was the physiologist behind the Ineos sailing team, who became apparently the fittest sailing team ever at the America's Cup. He believes his guys have more arm power, get this, than can actually be achieved with legs. I'm sure he has access to the grinder machines that the sailors train on. So if you want a real challenge, ask him to help you out. Nah, sorry, mate. I'm calling BS on that. More arm... Nah... Someone's arms are going to put out more than my legs. I know my legs are skinny, but come on. I don't know. Is it up? You've seen them, haven't you, when they're, when, they, when they're doing that thing with their hands? Yeah, Getting yeah, themselves yeah, up and down. Didn't they change for one year and actually pedal? Because was, they could do more. I'm sure We're rapidly could. moving out of our depth here, G. I yeah. think you should give it a go. Just be very careful when you try and hook up with this grinder machine. Um, just be careful what you type into Google, otherwise you could end up <laughs> on a very different sort of app. Yeah, very, very true. I'll get in touch with Ben as well, because, yeah, as Neil says, Ben has just joined the, the cycling team, so I'm going to tap him up and see what he's got to say. Nice. Let's get a guest on. Sponsor Klaxon. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by Momentus, a leading human performance company that works with pro and elite sporting teams. And here's Geraint to tell you about their flagship product, PR Lotion, and a cheeky discount for our members. Yeah, so PR Lotion is a cream that you just basically massage on your muscles that are working. So the other day, for instance, I had a big time trial session. So an hour before, just was there in my kitchen, massaging cream all over my legs and... uh but it works very well. And the data also actually shows that you'll get 53% less muscle soreness and be able to do 25% more training intervals. So win-win. So go on, go and slap it all over those legs before your next big ride or your next workout or even your next GTCC ride. Just go to livemomentous.com and use the discount code GTCC2021 at the checkout for 25% off Momentous's PR Lotion. 
Happy training. Imagine boarding a flight thinking you're heading on holiday, but instead you get taken hostage by Saddam Hussein. Your daily reality is the fact that at any moment when the guard comes along, he might just pull out his gun and shoot you in the back of the head. All the tanks are in rows and they're all pointing their guns at us. Why has it been covered up for 30 years? That man has been shot. My God. Search for the secret history of Flight 149 and subscribe now. Our guest today, Tom, is a Guinness World Record holder and maybe the first we've had on the GTCC, I think. I've I've hold, held a few world records in my time, but none currently. So I don't know about Chris Hoy and all them, Sir Chris Hoy. But Pick yourself up, yeah. I'm just going to say it. Josh, the, the greatest Scottish, British world record holder that we've had on anyway. So one of those records being the greatest distance cycled in seven days. Any guesses who we've got, Tom? Um, I think you meant to say any guesses what that is. Oh, shit, yeah. Any guesses what that is, Tom? <laughs> Well, on the basis that the furthest I have ever cycled in a single day, G, was I think about 150 miles, and then I was destroyed for about six months. I reckon someone who's significantly better than me could ride, conceivably ride, 200 miles in a day. So, but backing up will be hard, but let's assume they can do it 200 times 7, 1400 miles is my estimate. <laughs> Great maths, mate. Great Thank maths. you. Uh, your miles off, to be honest. Quite literally, this man has cycled two thousand one hundred and seventy-nine point six six. What? I'll ask him if. Yeah, yeah. That, those point six six make a difference as well. By the way, um, that was in Aberdeenshire back in September twenty twenty-one, beating the old world record by two miles. Not only that, he's also cycled around the entire globe, which I think we'll definitely hear more about later on in the episode. But basically, he's clearly got a massive engine, huge determination, which we'll also find out about. And so we can wait to speak to him. Welcome to the GTCC, Josh Quigley. Welcome, mate. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. How was that for a um, build-up? That was that was a pretty good intro, actually. I think, gee, you'd be a good person to actually give a bit of perspective on the record that I've got. Because if you could tell us, like, what's a big training week for you? If you're doing, like, a really big block of training, what would that number be in a week? Poor jeepers. It wouldn't be anywhere near that, to be honest. Um issue I got is I work in hours and kilometres, so um, I have to do some quick maths here. But the biggest week I've done is 42 hours. And... Oh, for argument's sake, say I averaged 30k an hour, which is just under 20 mile an hour. 30 times 42, Tom, 48, 12. Let me just 1, put this in Google. <laughs> 640? No. I'm so bad at maths. Oh, one, it's like 1260k. So Josh did, what was it, 2179.66. I want to say the whole thing. My official distance in kilometers was three and a half thousand kilometers. And if you think think if you think about the whole the whole week, there's 168 hours in a week. I was on the bike riding for 125, 125 hours out of a total of 168, which meant that for the entire week I was on the bike riding for 74 percent of the time for the full week. So you like those animals then that don't sleep and just hibernate all winter? Like the reverse of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it was it hedgehogs? 
They do that, don't they? Hibernate all winter. Bears. They do. Do they stay awake though in the summer? Then hedgehogs the whole time. Do you know what the craziest thing about hibernation is? And Josh, we will get back to your world record attempt in a second. Apparently, hibernation is not the same as sleeping. So that bears who are hibernating will often come out of hibernation to have a sleep. So what are they doing hibernation then? <laughs> That's the extent of my hibernation knowledge. I, I'm not buying that, Tom. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm not buying that. <laughs> well. The, 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 the... The funny thing is when you actually start talking about animals, on the final weekend off that record, I'd been up for like 30, 40 hours or something like that, and I was actually starting to hallucinate and see things that weren't there. One of the things that I seen was I seen two kangaroos on bikes, like 500, <laughs> five, 500 metres up the road, and they were like trying to race me. And so like by that point, I knew like I need to get off the bike because I'm just, yeah, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be on the roads. <laughs> you did this record in Scotland, right? Yeah, it was it was on a course up at up in Aberdeenshire. Was that pretty lumpy then? Because whenever I think of Scotland, this is hilly. But surely you'd, you'd pick a flat route for it if you're going to do it. No, it wasn't totally flat. It was about eight or nine thousand feet of climbing each day. So it's about maybe <sighs> two thousand meters or something like that, or two to three thousand meters. So why did you choose that route then? Weren't there flatter options? Yeah, we could have done it on like a totally flat route and, you know, made it a lot easier. But I just thought that it would have been soul destroying just riding up and down the same road all day, like totally flat. The good thing about the route was that it was, there was a lot of little villages along the way, places called Bankery, a boy in Ballater. And the people off those villages started to come out and support me. So towards the end of that final weekend, it was honestly like a, a Tour de France just for me. It was like, that's what it was like. There was people coming out. There was a guy dressed as a devil, people dressed up in all sorts of costumes. Like the support on the route from all the all the locals that were coming out in the villages was just absolutely incredible. So, you know, going through that route, it wasn't totally optimal in terms of being as flat as it could have been. But the support from the locals really drove me on. And to only beat the record by two miles, you think about the difference between riding on a flat road with no fans and supporters or having all that support. Like it really could make the difference. Seeing you mentioned the tour there, three and a half thousand K is roughly the length of the tour, which is we do over three weeks. We get massage, we get looked after, we sleep. You did more than that, or similar, pretty much the same as that, in a week. Bonkers, mate. Yeah, it did. It worked out quite similar to what you guys do in the Tour de France, which was quite cool, actually, because basically what you do over three weeks, I've done in seven days, in terms of just pure, 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 pure distance. What made you want to do that? I was looking for a challenge to go for. I'd had a big crash in January and I'd been in hospital and I was looking for a, for a challenge to go for and because of the lockdown restrictions. I had to do something in Scotland and I just had always known about that record and it, so it was the only real thing I could do at the time. I wasn't really able to, to travel or to go anywhere so that was why I'd done it. Oh. There's a place that you could have gone to in Aberdeenshire that I'm slightly disappointed you didn't go to because there is a village not far from your route called Fordyce, or Fordyce, to give it its Aberdeenshire pronunciation, um, which would have been a nice touch. You could have cycled past the Fordyce School, the Fordyce Academy, the Fordyce Church, the Fordyce Public Toilets. <laughs> oh, those toilets are bad. Full of, sh- full of <laughs> Very shit. Very bad, don't go to those. <laughs> the thing, I've got so many questions, Josh, about your ride because it's the sort of thing that a lot of us amateurs often we sort of talk about in the pub whether we've had a long day or someone might be setting off on a challenge so i've got a lot of practical questions the first being how did you choose your bike and were you on some sort of time trial setup no so that was one of the key rules there was quite a lot of rules and regulations coming from guinness world records and one of them was that you had to do it on a standard road bike 
you weren't allowed aero bars or tri bars. It had to be in a standard road bike. So we weren't really allowed to use anything like that. If you were having the aero bars or tri bars, it would have, you'd been able to do a lot more just because the speed would have been a lot faster. What about the food? So I'm assuming that you ate a ridiculous amount, but equally you can't stop to eat. And I guess you don't really want to stop too often to do the thing you have to do if you've eaten a lot of food. Yeah, so once I got the record, we were doing we done a big speaking tour up in Aberdeen, going around all the local schools, talking to the kids about the record. And that was the question to all the kids. We went in like 20, <laughs> 20, 20, 25 schools and everybody's like, where do you do the toilet? And my answer to them was always just very simply, everything that I had to do for that week was done on the bike. So eating, drinking, and you know what. So... Yeah, that was just that was. If you think about beating the record by two miles, if I had to stop to do the toilet every time I needed it, we wouldn't have beat the record. So it's yeah, talk about marginal gains, G. That's <laughs> what you've got to do. So hang on, you. I mean, we, G, you've described in great detail, not least on the Joe Marler show recently, how you pee off a bike. Um, and I'm sorry for going down this route, Josh. Um, are you saying that you could do other things off the bike? Or rather, on the bike as well. No, it was it was strictly urination. That that was it. That, <laughs> you wouldn't that, want a big. That, that was my, that, that was my rule. My rule. My rule was like that's all I'm going to do. Be a great show that BBC One, wouldn't it? Strictly urination. <laughs> yeah, when you're drinking so many fluids, I was doing the toilet so much. You know, I was on the bike eighteen to twenty hours a day. So, yeah, and you know what it's like when you stop. Every time you stop as well, you lose a bit of momentum. You need to get going again. So I I was never going to stop and. I actually got to a point where it was, it was cold in the morning when it kind of heated you up a little bit and then went cold and, yeah, I probably shouldn't admit that, but... <laughs> was the weather kind to you? I was, I was really lucky. So I had a first attempt at this record in April and had to pull out in day five with a knee injury. That time the weather couldn't have been any worse. It was just really windy, really wet. It was just really miserable. When we went for the second attempt in September, we were really lucky. The weather was just almost perfect. Um, no, no real major wind which would have been a big issue and it was pretty dry for most of it I just had a big downpour on the Saturday night when I was riding right through the night that was that was about it but no we got really lucky with the weather what hurt the most the food the food and nutrition that was that was the hardest bit like I, I was burning on average anywhere from 9,000 to about 12,000 calories a day and so to a lot of people, that, that sounds amazing. You say, wow, I'd love to have to eat you know, 10,000 calories a day because that sounds cool. But when you're having to eat on the hour, every hour, and not even on the hour, like every 20 minutes, really, it just eating becomes the last thing you want to do and it just becomes really difficult. So the, the food and nutrition was the hardest bit. And, you know, we started off really strategic. You know, the first few days, I'm doing all the bars, all the gels. Every four hours, I'm taking on protein. Every four hours, taking on recovery drinks. By the end of that week, it was literally just everything and anything you can imagine, like <laughs> bur- burgers, milkshakes, McDonald's, like crisps, crisp sweets, chocolate cakes. It was just literally er- everything and anything that my body could stomach. On the, on the final day, I couldn't even eat real food anymore. I was just drinking tomato soup and chicken soup through my water bottles on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was what I was doing the final weekend. Sorry, I'm just looking at how many miles you did a day or k's i'm gonna do k's yeah around 500k a day you said three and a half didn't you yeah so i was so day day one day one was like 352 miles day two day two was 342 then i i started 
struggling with sleep, so I was having to stop for naps. I struggled, I went down to 273 miles, 273 miles, then 304. Then I woke up on the Saturday morning and I got to bed at like 7 a.m. from the Friday's ride. Got on the bike at 9 a.m. and rode right to the end, Monday morning, 4 a.m. There was 43 hours remaining. I was on the bike for 38 of them, five hours non-moving time. And done like 600 and, 637 miles in the final ride from Saturday morning to Monday morning. And that was that was what basically got me the record. Yeah, fair play. With the, the whole sleep thing, I've always wondered about this because, you know, you see, well, everyone does it. So maybe you're all just bonkers. But in my head, I'm kind of thinking, would it be better just to sleep an extra two hours but and then be able to just ride a bit faster? Or is it just... The amount of distance you'd lose in those two hours is just too much. So what we kind of worked out, my, my, kind of, my coach had worked this out at the time, which was see, see for every every hour that you're you're stopped and you're not in the bike, like, so you, so say for example, you're only doing 15 miles an hour, for example. If you stop for an extra hour, you then need to make up 15 miles. So like you're going to have to do like an extra maybe two or three mile an hour, which is really hard to do when you're that fatigued. So it's always better to just keep moving, even if you're only moving at 12 miles an hour, rather than totally stopping, because it's just really hard to make up the time where you've stopped. So the, keeping the non-moving time down is, is really is the most important thing. I think I've been in training for this without even trying, having a baby. Max is getting me ready to have a go at this record at some point. <laughs> I'm not going to do it, trust me. I've, I've, yeah, it's just nuts. I was just going to say, I would love to see somebody like go for it, like somebody like at that level trying to do it. Because it just, it's obviously there's an interesting conversation here, like the differences between an ultra endurance rider and somebody who does what G does and like races at that level. You know, how, how many guys, you know, at the top level, you know, like in a Tour de France, how many do you think could go and ride 2,000 miles in a week or 3,500 kilometres? It just, it'd be interesting just to see how, how that would convert and how the two kind of disciplines intersect. Yeah, I think there comes a point where there's the mental side overtakes the, the physical, definitely. So I think, wow, there's so many guys in the peloton that would just be... Yeah, just one more. Well, actually, I'd say probably 95% would be like, why? Why? I cannot do that. I cannot <laughs> like my sleep too much. And, um, it would be interesting, though. But I think, yeah, with those things, things like that, it's, it's definitely a lot in the head. I think once you get past, I don't know, first day, probably, you know, it's just the lack of sleep, the tiredness, and thinking, oh, I've got another six, five days to go. Oh, I would, I would also add something into this as well that might surprise people that I'd, I'd done that entire week with, with no headphones, no music, no podcasts, like just just me in my own head all day, every day. Oh, wow. And why was that? Was that a sense of wanting to enjoy the experience more in a weird way? Most of it came down to just the amount of kind of fans and supporters that were on the road, like literally right along the entire route. People were coming out of their houses, clapping, cheering, they had signs. So every time I was going past them, I was wanting to wave at them, say something to them, you know, just just conversate with them. So if I was like listening to a podcast or music, I wouldn't have been able to kind of do that with them. So and, and the way the route was, there was literally people along almost every part of the route. So I was I was never really on my own for much of it. You know, I had my full support team with me as well. So yeah, I never really had the time to listen to anything because I was so busy kind of engaging with the people that came out to support me and thanking them. And, how long? How long was your lap? 
So each lap was around about 60 miles or something like that, about 32 miles out and then about 32 miles back. So it was maybe about three and a half, four hours a time. Oh, that must make it harder as well. Like the same bit of road, just over and over and over. Like, wow. The way I processed it in my, in my mind, when I woke up in the morning, I was on the first lap. It was like, right, this is the first one. Let's just get it out of the way. Once I'd done that one, I was like, right, second lap. Once you finish that one, you're now at halfway. Once I got that one done, I was at halfway. Then I was like, third one. Once I finished this one, I'm now in the final one. And then once I'm on the final one, I'm like... I'm on the final lap now and I'm just almost going to bed. So <laughs> it was just like little mind tricks just to get yourself through it. And even smaller and more detailed than that, I was never really thinking more than five or ten miles at a time. Like I had all these little villages along the way. So it was in the morning, get to Bankery. Once I was in Bankery, like, right, let's get to Aboyne. Once I was in Aboyne, let's get to Balator. And it was just, just all these little mind games to just get you through it. That was That's how you do it. Next one, stop for a shit in four dice toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got another uh, sort of gutter based question, Josh. Before I ask you a slightly more serious one, um, because Geraint has claimed to have, uh, in his words, a granite gooch. Um, how was your undercarriage uh, towards the end of day seven? So, if you see any of the the photos online, like on my Instagram or that, off me doing it on the final weekend, it looks like I'm wearing hot pants on the bike, like these these little <laughs> shorts, and that was basically because because I was doing the toilet on the bike all day every day for like 20 hours there was just a lot of chafing and a lot of really horrible rashes on my legs I was having to roll my shorts and on my skin suit like all the way up so it looked terrible but yeah that that was the biggest issue it was you know I was literally doing the toilet and the skin suit all day and it was just the reason why I'd done that is because I'd done another record the year before the North Coast 500 and it was like 31 hours where I basically rode the bike non-stop without stopping for 31 hours that was the first time I'd ever done the toilet on the bike and I'd done that to save time and I got away with it and it was fine but I never really considered that for the seven day one I'm going to be doing it all day every day for a whole week so I never really had any issues with my with my skin on that one but doing the toilet and your skin suit all day every day for a week is not the best for your skin so you know it was, it was pretty nasty towards the end. Hmm. Oh so you didn't actually learn how to do it like properly you just did it in shorts basically? No, we should have done this interview before I'd done it and you could have given me that tip. You gave me that tip. I never I never knew there was a way of doing it not in your actual shorts. <laughs> yeah. Well, we won't go into details now, but yeah, I'll give you a text later. I won't I won't <laughs> I won't give you a video demonstration, but I'll I'll be descriptive. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so gee, as you're listening to Josh, because I'm listening and thinking that would be impossible for me, but you are that much closer to to riding that sort of mileage. So are you finding yourself thinking how you would be in Josh's situation? Yeah, I, I am thinking, well, it would be a good challenge, but I don't know. I, there's a lot of things I've been thinking like, oh, in a couple of years, it'd be good to give that a go. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be, well, at the, at this moment in time, I think I wouldn't take it too seriously, but I guess as soon as you start going, you you probably would. But just a ride that much and with the lack of sleep and stuff is just a huge challenge, let alone the actual distance on top of it, like actually going fast. Yeah, there's a few other things that is sort of, <laughs> I'm a bit more enthusiastic for at the moment than, yeah, that week. But, you know, it's a challenge, isn't it? 
I think it's something for for like yourself. Like once you finish racing, you know, it's probably goals and stuff. I've heard you talking about wanting to do Ironmans and stuff like that. The, the ultra endurance stuff. The, the cool thing about it is you can do it at any age. Really, you can do it when you're forty. You can do it when you're fifty. You know, endurance doesn't really have an age limit on it. So you know, there's things you can do. You know, I think it'd be cool to once once you finish racing, you'll probably need goals and things to keep stimulating you. You know, you want to do yeah, Ironmans sure. and ultra endurance. Is a cool, cool, it's a cool thing to get into, especially when you add the travel element into it as well. Like going up and down the same road all day every day might be a bit boring, but you know, like cycling like across America, or across Europe, or across Australia. Cross continent stuff like what I done when I cycled around the world as well. Like that's that's pretty cool stuff. That's a bit more interesting as well. I was going to say yeah. So getting onto you around the the world cycle, that took a few years, didn't it? Like you had quite a few um, well ups and downs during that period. Yeah, it was definitely a few false starts and you know failed attempts. I've, I've only just really kind of finished that ride at the end of last year, and it was like. Eight, eight attempts in total that it took me basically and I never even done it all at once it was just all in little bits over the years I, I think to, before I talk about cycling around the world I need to kind of take you back a little bit before that and tell you you know why I wanted to do that so at the end of 2014 I went through quite a difficult time in my life when my, my girlfriend and I broke up we been together for like seven or eight years I was really depressed after that, never really knew how to deal with it, was drinking a lot, just going to the pub all the time and I attempted to take my own life by crashing my car at high speed in the motorway. I was really lucky to survive that and after that I thought, right, I need to do something different with my life, I need to stop drinking and I never really knew what I was going to do because I just, you know, I was a young guy in Scotland that grew up drinking, you know, started drinking when I was like 12 years old. I never knew anything different but I knew I wanted to do something different then we take Chris Hoy and we add him into the story and I basically went along to an event in Edinburgh that was just a business networking event and I was there because I was running my own business at the time and I heard Sir Chris's story and you know like like everybody I knew who Chris Hoy was but I never really knew his story and that day sitting in the audience I was just so inspired and I thought fuck it I'm going to go and cycle around the world that was it like that was literally what happened so Chris Hoy is the reason I started cycling. He inspired me that day and I thought I'm going to go and ride around the world. So that was that was why I started. It kind of came from quite a dark place. Once I got started, it was, you know, the best thing I'd ever done. I basically spent one year cycling around Europe, 10,000 miles, 14 countries. And I was just so happy and healthy at the end of that. Like I'd been having a year basically just living on the road, sleeping in a tent, being hosted by families reading all these books, seeing Europe. I just, you know, had the adventure of a lifetime and I thought, I don't think I need to do this anymore. Like, I've not cycled around the world, but, you know, I'm happy again. I've kind of got my life back on track. So I just went home and just tried to kind of leave cycling behind. I thought that that was my, that was my cycling life finished, essentially, which is quite funny given what happened later. Sorry, just to butt in quickly. When you said staying with families, how, how does that work? You just walk up to a house and say, oh, anyway, I'm just cycling over Europe. Can I crash in your house for a bit or how does that work no it, it, it depends there's, there's, a, there's a website called warm showers which is basically like couch surfing for cyclists so all these people all these people sign up as hosts and if you're cycling through their town or area you can send them a message and say can i stay with you what an amazing thing yeah it's really incredible I, i've been hosted by a don't want to get that wrong though do you no, no it's like some other shower spelling on google and you go to a very different yeah, yeah. <laughs> you end up waking up and yeah Something worse than weeing in your own <laughs> skin suit. 
<laughs> the, the good thing about it, I've actually done couch surfing a few times as well. And any any weird experiences that I've had through being hosted by people, I've, I've always came through couch surfing. On, on the Warm Showers website, because they're, they're all cyclists, you've instantly got you've instantly got something you've instantly got something in common with them. And just to just to explain, I think the reason why it's called Warm Showers is because you've you know you've read you've rid your bike all day, you're on a big tour, you're camping outside most of the time, you get inside and they give you a warm shower. That's I think that's the premise of why it's called that. But no, I, I was hosted I was hosted by about a hundred different families over the years. People in all the countries I've been in, they just welcome into their home, and you know it was, you know, it was amazing. Just an amazing way to see the world and to meet people as well. It was really quite amazing. You must have incredible mental strength now, Josh. Right, that's the thing I think of when you're talking about your distance records and cycling around the world. I think that's the hardest thing, f- from my perspective, is just how you stay positive when you're riding by yourself and there's no distractions. How you how you stop the demons from just sitting on your shoulder and telling you to stop? Yeah, I think the, the good thing about like adversity and like really painful things in your life is that the more the more of them you go through, sounds a bit cliche. That just the stronger you become because every time you go through one, it just gives you another reference point of something that I've overcome. So one of the biggest obstacles for me that I've faced on my, my cycle around the world was in two thousand nineteen. I basically to give you another bit of context. I had like five or six attempts around the world, never really done it, kept quitting, was a bit flaky. In 2019, I decided, right, I'm just going to go and do this once and for all. Like, I'm going to go and cycle around the world and I'm not going to stop until I finish. I just committed to it. I set off from Scotland on April the 14th, 2019, and I never looked back. You know, five or six weeks later, I cycled across Europe, got to Istanbul, then cycled right across the entire continent of Asia, got to Japan and Tokyo, Right, right across Australia. Just eight months after leaving, I was on track to finish cycling around the world in just eight months in 2019. When I was on the penultimate leg across America, I was about 1,500 miles across America, I gets to Texas. And when I was in Texas, I basically got hit by a car traveling 70 miles an hour. And I, I just basically woke up in a helicopter and, you know, getting hit by a car 70 miles an hour is pretty heavy impact. And, you know, I had, you know, fractured skull traumatic brain injury seven broken ribs you know i had like over 10 broken bones and needed like three major surgeries when i woke up in hospital after that i was just thinking like you know when can i get back in the bike you know i just i I love cycling i've got a challenge to finish Mm. and so coming through that you know i came through that recovered all those broken bones nine months later i set the fastest ever time to cycle around the north coast 500 like 500 miles and just done just around 31 hours right so see when you do that, when you once you do that, and then following that, in January this year I had another crash. I was out training in Dubai, you know Jebel J, the it's the climb in the UAE tour. Mm. I was climbing up, climbing up that up to the dam. Yeah, yeah. As I was descending, I came off the bike um, about forty mile an hour. Had another about ten broken bones. I was in hospital out there. That's I came back from that and then went on to do the seven day record. So. I've now overcame multiple crashes, you know, I've had issues with mental health, issues with alcohol. I've just overcame so many different things. And so when I think about all those things, nothing can really phase me on a day-to-day basis, like, because, you know, I've overcome a lot worse. And when I'm out training every day, like on the bike, I actually cycle over a motorway flyover bridge. And every time I cycle over it, just towards the end of my ride, I always look at it 
And I see those cars flying past at 70 miles an hour and I always say to myself, I survived getting hit by that on a bike. If I can survive that, I can survive anything. And so, yeah, no, just the more things you go through, it just makes you become bulletproof. And, you know, my mental toughness and resilience, like, it really is pretty solid. And, you know, I think that to be in the sport of cycling, you really need to be like that. You know, you look at somebody like G, for example, at that level, you know, the amount of crashes and accidents you have, like, there's, there's, a, there's a famous book about the Tour de France. I think it's called A Race for Mad Men, which is, you know, you need to be a bit mad to be a cyclist because there's so many crashes and who who wants to put their body through that all the time? Yeah, and like you say, I think um, just going back to when you say you were waking up in your hospital bed and you're like, oh, when can I get back on my bike? I think that's a clear example of like when you have a big goal and like I've always been like that. Whenever I, when I'm my spleen out or all these other injuries, like you just, the first thing you're thinking of is, oh, when can I get back on the bike? I think that helps so much with recovery as well. And you see some people who, Maybe, you know, getting physio, you know, from NHS after, I don't know, something they've done and they never really get fully back because they just don't really have that big goal or anything to really keep them um, motivated and keen to do it. And I think that's a major benefit of having some extreme goals like that, really. Just the recovery process is just so much better, easier, faster, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely think when you've got that big goal, that big dream, it, it takes you further and helps you recover faster. Like when I was in hospital in America, just a couple of weeks after that crash, I was in a rehab facility. I was literally in a wheelchair. My leg was in a cast and I was wheeling myself down to the gym every day and doing like two, two or three hours on an indoor bike because I was just so determined to get back in the bike. And you, I think you will appreciate this part of the story, which is, at that time, you know, I, I kind of got into cycling later in life, so I never really followed things as they happened. Everything I've read about cycling has been looking back. When I was actually in hospital going through that crash, that was when I first read the books that you've done, and, you know, G's books that I know you, you worked on as well. So like, I'm in hospital reading your books and reading about, you know, when the tour and all that. And so you guys were part of that for me. You know, it was a big inspiration for me to, you know, get back in the bike and, you know, G has had, you know, plenty of crashes over the years. And, you know, to, to read stories of people that have been through big crashes as well and get back to that level, you know, it, it gives me hope as well. And now through what I do, you know, kind of sharing my journey with other people on social media as well, it gives them hope as well. So, no, it's been it's been, it's been been a crazy journey for sure. Yeah, and like you say about lockdown, when you mentioned at the start, um, you wanted something to do. So you thought, oh, see how far I can ride in a week. You know, most people probably thought, well, I'll finish this box set in a day on Netflix, you know. That's the that's the big difference. Yeah, I think during lockdown, people usually people went one or one way or the other. Like everybody either started drinking and put on loads of weight, or you got really <laughs> got really got really fit and lost loads of weight. Like it was it was quite binary like that. And I I just went the other way. Like when I lockdown came at quite a good time for me because I'd just been released from hospital in America, so I was just training. I was just going out in the bike all the time and just used that as an opportunity to to be better really and, and my whole kind of year had been messed up because of things that I wanted to do I wasn't able to do because they locked down and everything got cancelled so I just thought what can I do I went and set a record in Scotland because I couldn't travel to America and then eventually done the seven day record as well because I because there was nothing really else to do so you've just got to make the most of what, whatever you're dealt with at that time I believe. Josh I've been so impressed with everything you've told us both from a physical perspective but I think even more your your mental strength. If you don't mind me asking, how how's your head now? Is everything good? Yeah, my, my head's my head's in a really good place just now. I think 
One of, one of the challenges for me in, in the past couple of years is that I started cycling because I was depressed and I wanted to be happier. And then that worked initially because, you know, cycling is just so good for your mental and physical health. But then I got to a point where I started getting really into cycling and became really passionate about it and started setting myself all these bigger goals and dreams that I wanted to do on the bike. And then got to a point when I started overwhelming myself where, you know, I was just feeling the pressure of all these big goals and dreams that I set myself and all the things I wanted to do. I'm in a place now where I'm the sort of guy that's got big dreams and big goals, but I don't really care if I achieve them or not. And I think this is, came from what happened in September. When I got the world record and, you know, had that moment where the guy gave me the world record and I held it up and, and holded it, held it, that wasn't actually the most euphoric, best moment in my life. And it was actually, when I think back, it was it was the journey of getting there. It was like the week, all that week leading up to it, which was absolutely amazing. And I'm sure G will probably tell you this as well. Like that morning when you wake up, in the yellow jersey and you've actually won the Tour de France that's not like the absolute happiest moment as, as you probably think it will be and I think that the thing that probably makes you happier along the way is actually the journey of getting there the people that you shared it with and so for me going forward now like I want to achieve big things in the bike but it's the process and the journey and the, the, that, that I really love like for me what I love is, you know, I love doing a weekly call with my coach and we're talking about what we're doing. I love going out on the bike. I love the training. I love the nutrition. I love the stretching. I love the process of this stuff. And so the goals and the dreams are something to aim for and to work towards. But it's for me, the magic and the happiness comes from the process and trying to do it. So if I never achieve any of my dreams, it doesn't matter. But as long as I'm trying, I'm going to be all right because that's what makes me really happy. Yeah, totally. I agree. Well, saying that stood on... Champs-Élysées in the yellow jersey was pretty pretty euphoric but no yeah I totally get the the passion and the the love for it and it just like we've mentioned already it's just that the drive is what keeps you focused it's what you enjoy doing and the hard times are almost like the harder the better sometimes like for you hard is totally different to to mine you know I know it's only going to be three hours four hours whatever yours could end up being like you know a few months when you're riding around the world but you know I think um, yeah it's all about that passion for it that love for it that's what you need and um, that's what everyone has at the highest level for sure Josh what's the next chapter going to be um, I've heard rumours about a little tilt at the pro world um, we do know someone with an in at Ineos on this podcast so now <laughs> may be the time to to spell out that dream yeah so for me I know it's I know it sounds crazy, I know it sounds mental, but like basically what G's done, I wanna do that. Like that's that's my ultimate dream and goal. Like to not just in, not just what he done, but the way he done it for his country as well. Like see like, you know, winning the Tour de France, becoming the first ever Welsh winner, like that's just absolutely incredible. And you know, that's just real history. And so for me, like my ultimate dream, as crazy as it sounds, is to be the first Scottish winner in the Tour de France. And I know that's mental, but that that really is what I want to do. And I've came to cycling at a really late age. You know, I'm 29 just now. I basically just want to start racing now and try and do it. I think I've got the physiology and I've got the engine. And, you know, doing the numbers that I need to do is not going to be the issue. I just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to learn how to race and ride the bike at speed. For me, the next chapter is basically 2022 is my first full season of racing just on a, a British domestic level, trying to work my way up the ranks, get signed by a team and hopefully, you know, getting onto one of the bigger teams. And 
that that's what I want to try and do. And you know, Kenny, what I was talking about earlier, it's for me, it's the process. Like that's that's my dream, that's my aim. If I never get there, it's fine. But I, I want to try it at least. And so that I don't want, I don't want to put a ceiling on my my ambition or my capabilities. I just I just want to try and see how far I can get. And yeah, just just share the journey with people as well. Yeah, that's great. I think as you say, it's, as you said earlier as well, it's not about failing or succeeding. You know, it's just that. That journey and if you give it 100% and you do what you can then yeah you're just gonna have a great time doing it anyway no matter what happens so yeah good luck to you mate yeah so it's it's not every day you get the chance to sit down and speak to somebody who's actually won the Tour de France so given everything that you know now and everything that's happened you know the last 20 years looking at somebody you know in a position of trying to achieve what you've achieved in the sport what would what would be like the one or two things you think like these are the these are the most important thing you need to focus on whether it be training nutrition team like what 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 would you kind of what would be your advice to somebody who'd want to emulate what you've well, done in the sport i think um well for you for instance the biggest thing that stand out would be the intensity um when it comes to your training because obviously riding your bike for you know three and a half thousand k in a week as you say you've definitely got an engine um it's just tuning it up because obviously racing is a lot more intense than you know what you've been doing so i think that'll be the biggest challenge but there's so much out there and at the, but at the same time it's not suddenly reading everything and taking everything you know you can just try and do way too much as well especially when you're just really starting out so it's definitely having one or two people you can really trust. Um, obviously having the big picture and all, all the advice and all this and that, but then just handpicking stuff. Not It's like, for instance, when somebody has a baby, you know, if you go and speak to every person that's had a baby, they'll give you a different bit of advice. And at the end of the day, you need to find out what works for you really. And the main points, take them, have them as your sort of main pillars, so to speak. Um, and beliefs and, and how you do it and then around that you personalize it a lot more to yourself but um yeah I think the training and nutrition is the biggest thing that's changed the sport in the last few years and then you know with the speed and stuff obviously the bikes and equipment aerodynamics all that's come into it but then that's more obviously teams and stuff which isn't so individual but um so yeah I hope that answered your question yeah if I can just be really cheeky finally I would say it Towards the end of this year, um, I'd love to come out and just join one of your training camps. I, if I can't keep up, you can just drop me and I'll go home. But I, I promise I, I'll be able to hang. I'll be able to hang with you guys. I just, I just want an end of the team. If you want to intro me to Dave B, Rod, whoever it is, I just, I just want a chance. Yeah, well, we're all based down in south of France anyway, so head down September time. I'm sure uh, there'll be plenty of guys rolling around to, yeah. to hang out with. Padlock our bikes up if we're out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no coffee stops in Menton. Yeah. Oh, cheers. Thanks a lot for coming on. Well, Josh, it's been fantastic having you on the pod. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We get some pretty inspirational guests sometimes, G, don't we? And I'm thinking about John McAvoy in particular. But hearing Josh's story of what you went through and what you've come through and what you're doing now is truly inspirational. So thank you. Yeah, fair play and good luck with everything. And um, I, I'm not saying I'll be a coach, but, you know, send me a message or two and I'll do what I can to help you out. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Tom and Lou, you've been on Zwift for 16 weeks now. How are you both getting on? 
I'm really enjoying it, G. I've settled into a very nice groove on our Wednesday evening GTCC club rides. Really nice little group. I'm not trying to kill anyone on those rides. I'm quite happy just to sit there, have an easy pedal, chat away on the messaging app. It's become a really special part of every Wednesday. I've also been loving Zwift. Um, not loving it so much when I've been trying to do some hillier loops and hillier circuits. Um, that has been very sore on the legs. I've also got a question for any um, female riders out there. What is the best saddle to be using on an indoor trainer? I'm finding that the one I'm using currently, I think, is more suited to male anatomy. Um, so yeah, any suggestions you've got on what saddle I could purchase would be greatly appreciated. And if you fancy joining me, Tom and Geraint on Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. We'll see you there. Chairman Tom, I hear we've got something special for our members. Yeah, we have indeed, Geraint. We've only gone and partnered up with the best bike insurance out there, Lacquer Insurance. And when any of our GTCC members takes out insurance with Lacquer, they will get an exclusive Geraint Thomas Cycling Club sweatshirt. Right, OK then, Tom. So why are Lacquer so good? Well, Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off the bike. People just like our honorary GTCC president, Mike Carr. Have a listen to this. I signed up with Lacquer uh, a few months ago. My bike was insured on my contents, which was costing me a fortune. So I went with Lacquer, a really great model. And a couple of months later, my wonderful Carbon Canyon was stolen. They broke through my side gate and into my locked bike shed. Took the bike, which was soul-destroying, but I had a police report, police number, and a couple of photos, which I sent straight off to Lacquer. Literally three or four days later, the money was in my bank account, and I was off new bike shopping, so it was a great service. So if you fancy getting insured with Lacquer and fancy a free GTCC sweatshirt in the process, just head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code GTCC. Enjoy. Hey, Tom, Josh asking me about hooking him up with Dave B reminds me, actually, because back in November, just as I was coming back after my shoulder up, I went out for a little ride with Dave around Nice and stuff. Very random. Like, we were a bit delayed. We did, like, it was about a four-hour loop, which I thought was only two and a half. I hadn't ridden there for a while, off-season and all that. Anyway, coming back through Nice, and then this kid rides past on a... We stop at the lights, he rides past, and then we turn right and sort of catch him up and ride past, say hello. It's like, oh, um, good to hear some fellow Welsh accents. And uh, sorry if you can hear some noise, by the way, Tom. It's a bit of a madhouse here. Is Max watching to, telly? Uh, Max and half a size family all here, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> anyway, we catch them, we go past, and he's like, oh, nice to hear some fellow Welsh accents. We're like, oh, where are you from? He's like, ends up, it's like the village where Dave B's from in Wales. Up in North Wales. North Wales, yeah. And he's like, oh, what What are you doing here then? He's like, oh, I just moved down here. About two weeks ago, drove down over a few days. I was like, oh, okay, cool. What, what are you doing? Oh, nothing yet. I'm just looking for a job, just applying for loads of different things. I should have mentioned actually on this ride, Dave's talking about we need like a, a runner, a bit of a help for the team house, like just all the odd jobs that need doing basically down there. So then he says this and I was like, just look at Dave. I'm just like, Here's your man. He's like, he's like, how old are you? 
Oh, 24. Yeah, just kind of got his degree and all this stuff, and but just wanted to come to Nice and just look for a job. So renting some long-term lease in some apartment in, I don't know, on the coast somewhere. I was like, oh, are you organised? It's like, oh, no, not really. I was like, mate, think about that again. Are you organised? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I was like, oh, come and ride next to Dave. And then he was chatting to Dave very briefly. And then basically Dave was like, oh, end of this little chat of a minute. I was like, oh, here's my email. Send me an email and um, we'll get you in and see, you know, if you can help us out. And basically, this kid ends up getting a job with us yeah. on the team. He's like a runner in Monaco and stuff. And turns out he's done physiology and nutrition in university. And so, yeah, just goes to show, doesn't it? Just have a bit of uh, ambition and a bit of, you know, balls about you and make stuff happen, doesn't it? I've got two things to say, G. Either this guy has deliberately gone out on his bike at a time where he, he's, he's waited outside your apartment and then he's pulled out <laughs> of a side street and he's tracked you and he's waited for his moment. Or what we're seeing here is the classic Welsh mafia, the Tafia, in action. Um, <laughs> yeah. Two Welshmen have got another Welshman, a nice gig on the south of France. Yeah, I think he had a bit of a shock, though, the initial couple of weeks when, you know, he's basically been a student, haven't he? And suddenly he's in this team and he's been told to do this and that. He had to drive a load of stuff to... oh. God knows where, for like the December camp, like you had to um, a load of kit that needed going. So it was like a 10 hour drive to there, to the ferry and then like 10 hour drive back. And he's been doing this and that. I think he's a bit burnt out already, but yeah, we'll see how he gets on. Well, it's a nice story. And on the subject of randomly bumping into people, having a good time, we have also had an email in from those guys that you talked about, the ones you rode within Mallorca back in December. Ah, yes. So this is coming from a lad called James Hawkins. And James says, I'm one of the guys who G met in the curry house. The story is pretty much as G told it. It was an awesome day. Getting to ride with those guys was such a privilege and something I'm sure all of us will remember forever. It was so nice to get genuine interest from the guys on what we do. So a huge thank you from all of us for recognising how cool it was giving us that opportunity. Also, says James Hawkins. A special thanks from me for all the bars and the gels that just about got me to the cafe, even if I was seeing stars. Looked after as good and proper. We'll be out there again next year. See you in the curry house, G. <laughs> Quality. See you there. Right, Tom, time for any of the business now. So, you know what that means. Time for some more road captains. And first up, big congratulations to John Casey, who's a new road captain for Cornwall. Well played, John. Our next one is Stuart Jenkins, who's going to take North Essex, which are the sort of roads where I grew up on Thaxted. Uh, where else are you going to go? Dunmo. Delightful riding. Well played, Stuart. From Lancashire, Carl Dalton. For Lausanne in Switzerland, it is James Southorn. And Stockholm, Raymond Baker. Is that where Batman's from, Stockholm? Well, I just made that up in my head. He's from Gotham City, isn't he? Oh, yeah. What's from Stockholm? The Joker or someone? The Penguin? Don't know why, but <laughs> Stockholm reminds me of something to do with that. Maybe that's just... Anyway, moving on, Tom. It's an early start today, Fuji. We'll let you off. Um, we've got a couple <laughs> more questions from our members to finish with, G. The first one, um, I'm not sure who this is coming from. It's quite a broad one. Riders to look out for this year. But same old, really, because, well... They're not old. They're all young and they're all up and coming. So the ones that were performing last year were going to be performing this year. Um, so no 
major surprises really, other than I think little Ben in our team, Ben Turner, he's going to be a, a good rider. Yeah, so he'd be my, my pick. Okay, the second question, G, is... I don't know how this is going to make you feel because there is a theme developing with some of these questions that are coming in. <laughs> the question <laughs> is, do you see yourself as a coach or a DS after retirement? <laughs> yeah, what, what's all this retirement talk about, Tom? I, th- I feel like you... Are you not just writing these questions just to wind me up? <laughs> um, Listen, you've, you've got an excellent two years left in you, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, definitely not a DS, no chance. It's more time away than what we'd spend now. And main reason for retiring for me would be more time with the family. So, But coaching is something which I wouldn't mind doing. Um, maybe not at the top, top level to start with. or I don't know. I wouldn't say no, though. Keep your options open, you know. But uh, yeah, definitely not a DS. Count me out of that. Okay, final question. What is your ideal day out on the bike if you are setting off from Cardiff and you wish to travel 150 kilometres or less? <laughs> um, specific, specific, that one, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think when I think back to just being a young lad and just going out and doing 80-odd miles when we rode, the, you know, the Five Valleys climbs, mm. so Rigos Bulk, maybe even um, Glynneath Bank, yeah, so I think out that way, out that neck of the woods, just a big loop out there and just reminisce of those times when I was like, yeah, 14, 15, struggling to just get around. Weather has to be nice though, because it's quite bleak on the top of those climbs and Pendera Moor and all that. Yeah, I'd say out that way. I'll take her out that way up those climbs uh, some other time in the year as well. Yeah, perfect. As long as we go back to that original deal we made in the, the first series of your podcast, where I go out on your Pinarello or a slightly smaller one that fits me, and you go out on some steel-framed brute with corks for brakes. <laughs> yeah, quality. We've got about five rides to do now, and a 5k run, and a yeah, have. rowing thing, but yeah, all good. <laughs> See you next week. See you all next week. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.